prostate cancer, I think, more than many cancers, focusing on quality of life, given that most men who get diagnosed will live for many years, is really something that I think historically has not been a big enough emphasis. Welcome to St. Louis In Tune. I'm your host, Arnold Stricker, along with co-host Mark Langston. St. Louis In Tune focuses on issues that impact and connect the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. As you know, we have previously talked a little bit about prostate cancer. I'm a prostate cancer survivor myself. And on the line, we have Dr. Dan Spratt, who is the chair of the Genitourinary Clinical Research at University of Michigan's Rogel Cancer Center. He's a Prostate Cancer Foundation-funded researcher and is the lead physician editor of PCF's Prostate Cancer Patient Guide and has done a series of patient-oriented videos. He's a spokesperson for the Prostate Cancer Foundation, has contributed to the research to improve outcomes for men with prostate cancer. He and his colleagues recently released a framework for decision-making in the use of radiation oncology in prostate cancer during the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Spratt, welcome to St. Louis In Tune. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. You know, I, I saw some of your videos online and was really intrigued by uh, how you are approaching uh, prostate cancer and research, and I know, and you correct me if I'm wrong, your emphasis is in the radiological kind of efforts related to prostate cancer, correct? Absolutely. Clinically, I treat men with radiation therapy, but I think the research really spans across all treatments for prostate cancer. So what is the latest research that you have been working on? Yeah, so we're really trying to work on, you know, when you think about prostate cancer, I kind of simplify it down to men with localized prostate cancer, cancer that we really have a good shot at curing, but we have, unfortunately, side effects of our treatments that we're trying to figure out how we can lessen and minimize. And then you have cancers that, unfortunately, on the more aggressive or metastatic side that can shorten men's life and they can die from. So we're really trying to develop new curative or even life-prolonging therapies in that setting. So kind of it's, it spans the spectrum. Um, and, you know, prostate cancer, I think, more than many cancers, focusing on quality of life, given that most men who get diagnosed will live for many years, is really something that I think historically has not been a big enough emphasis. Now, when you have men come to you, they've obviously maybe been to their internist or their primary care physician, and what has been identified? Has it been the PSA? Has it been other kinds of, of factors that would lead them to uh, your particular office in a discussion with you? Most men, and it's, it's been confusing over the last decade because there was this wave where they weren't even recommending PSA testing, unfortunately, right. uh, which is its own controversy that I personally disagree with. But most men, it's based on a PSA test. So I always tell men you should get your PSA tested. The test itself, it's just a simple blood test. It's about what you do with that information. So that's where the, you know, you don't want to get a test, and then every single guy that gets a test, you take the prostate out. It's about making sure you understand what those test results mean. The other way men get diagnosed is through a rectal exam. So the favorite for men when they get their physical, they will get their 
primary care doctor, their internist, will do a digital rectal exam with a finger to feel the prostate. And if it's enlarged, um, you know, still it's not a very good test, the digital rectal exam, but it's sometimes if something's abnormal, it can lead you to get a workup for prostate cancer. You mentioned something that just now that kind of reminded me about you. You have a video out on five questions where you talk about what is my risk group and the, the five questions that you ask your physician. Can you kind of go over those a little bit, those five questions? Because I think it's important for men out there and even women who are listening for maybe uh, their significant other. Um, it could be a son uh, who they need to be you know, thinking about these things, because we always encourage the guys, hey, get your well-man exam, get your PSA test done, get your blood work done. Mm-hmm. That's just like well-woman exam. Can you go into those five questions that you should ask your physician? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll sort of expand just, to, you know, five is always a nice, nice clean number, but, you know, it depends the stage you're at. But I think, you know, for a man who's been diagnosed with prostate cancer, as you said, you know, knowing the type of prostate cancer you have is critical. There is literally thousands of types or sort of risks of um, aggressiveness of prostate cancer. And so I really think of it like a speedometer from cancers that are basically not moving, not aggressive. We don't even need to treat them to cancers that could be lethal. And so really talking to your doc to make sure you understand where you fall on that spectrum. Because guys, you know, once you get diagnosed... I mean, there's about three and a half million men walking around the U.S. right now with prostate cancer. And so you will find other men once you get diagnosed that many people you know may have it or have had it previously. And they'll say, well, why did my buddy get surgery? Why did this guy get hormone therapy or radiation? And so understanding your cancer is critical. I think it's very important you see multiple specialists. So often the person that does your biopsy is a urologist. They may not even be a cancer doctor. They may not be a uro-oncologist. And so it's important to get expertise from both a uro-oncologist as well as a radiation oncologist. Those are your two most common treatment options for prostate cancer. So you know the pros and cons of each because to many men's surprise, the cure rates in all of the big studies actually are basically equal between radiation and surgery, but the side effects are very different. And each man has different priorities of which side effects may be less bothersome to them. You mentioned radiation therapy, obviously the extreme thing, surgery. And then what was the other one that uh, you mentioned? Um, so there's a third thing called active surveillance, where, you know, so there's surgery, there's radiation. And the third option that actually is appropriate for many men with less aggressive disease is called active surveillance, or we closely monitor the cancer and don't even treat it. The other thing I mentioned was something called hormone therapy, That's it. which is tes- testosterone-lowering therapy. That's really a cornerstone of treatment for men with metastatic disease. We selectively use it for some men with localized prostate cancer, but typically in short courses. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's shots and or pills you get that lower a man's testosterone. So even though it's called hormone therapy, we're not giving a man hormones. We're not turning him into a woman. Uh, we don't give him estrogen. But it, you, it's like going through menopause. You know, women, you get hot flashes. It's a little easier to put on some belly fat. But typically it's a short course. So it's temporary and transient and your testosterone comes back up. And are any of these used in combination with each other? They are. So um, many men who get surgery, it is common 
somewhere between about 30% or more of men may need to have radiation after surgery at some point. Um, many men with a higher grade cancer, we use it's called the Gleason scale or the Gleason grade, those men often get radiation with the hormone therapy for six months or sometimes even a year and a half or longer. So there, the more aggressive the cancer is, the more likely you'll need more than one therapy to cure the disease. Now, based upon where people are, kind of, you know, my question kind of goes, uh, being a candidate for active surveillance versus being candidates for the other ones, when, when do they kind of move into the next category of, okay, um, we're active surveillance, okay, maybe we need to do some of this radiation, oh, gee, maybe now we need to do surgery. When, what, where are those breakpoints, uh, or is yeah. there such a thing like that? No, there absolutely is. There absolutely is. So, um, you know, the docs have oversimplified sometimes, but they tried to simplify prostate cancer to what we call these three main risk groups. So there's low risk, intermediate risk, and high risk. And how you figure that out? Well, actually, the Prostate Cancer Foundation, that patient guide you mentioned, that they can go to pcf.org, will kind of explain men how they can calculate what risk group they have. But generally, it's based on a man's PSA, the grade of their cancer. So when they get a prostate biopsy, it's given a grade or a Gleason score. And then findings based off of imaging, like an MRI, or that digital rectal exam, is the cancer confined to the prostate or has it spread anywhere outside the prostate? And using those three factors, we can pretty accurately determine if they're low, intermediate, or high. And generally, men with low-risk prostate cancer, active surveillance, I believe, is um, definitely the preferred treatment uh, because these men, it, that type of cancer, some people believe it's almost benign, meaning that it, has, it doesn't kill men. It doesn't metastasize. That means you need to watch it because some men, they might develop a more aggressive cancer and it might need to be treated then. But once it's intermediate risk, depending on how healthy the man is, how many years of life left he has to live, um, there's a discussion whether now they should get treatment with intermediate risk. And high risk, the majority of men need more than one treatment to cure their disease. Now you've got, um, so the cure rates for e each one of those, like let's talk, um, obviously, active surveillance, it may, it may go on your entire life and be, you'd be fine with it. Uh, radiation, I know it, a, a lot of these factors, that's, that's a generalized question because it, it's individualized, but what, what are the cure rates for um, radiation as it relates to those three categories that you mentioned? Yeah, so in general, I would say for low-risk prostate cancer, the trials and studies that have been done show that the chance of a man dying of prostate cancer is identical whether they have do active surveillance, surgery, or radiation therapy. So really, that's why we don't really recommend treatment, because it's not going to help a man live longer, but there's potential side effects of our treatments. In intermediate risk disease, it's kind of, there's a lot of different subgroups of it, but I would say in general, with treatment with surgery or radiation therapy, there's probably on the order of somewhere between 5 to 20% of men could recur. I mean, the, the PSA starts rising over the next 10 years. Um, and again, it goes into that, those details of how high was the PSA. 
what was the grade of the cancer precisely. When you get to high-risk prostate cancer, with only one treatment, say let's say just surgery or just radiation on its own, it's probably about 50%, some studies show higher than that, um, may recur from their cancer in the first 10 years. And that's why adding on an additional therapy, such as radiation after surgery or hormone therapy with radiation, that typically improves the cure rate so that it's closer to only 20, 30, sometimes 40% of men may recur in the first 10 years. And that, again, depends exactly on those details uh, relevant to the patient. And so in those more aggressive cases, we're always, you know, that's why we run clinical trials. We're trying to figure out how best can we improve that cure rate as close to 100% while making sure the toxicities stay low. Hmm. Now, is there a fear that if uh, a man has radiation therapy and they're not a candidate later on if the, for, for surgery if the cancer progresses? De- definitely, that's something I hear probably every week. And I think it's something that is somewhat of a misconception in the sense that if a man chooses to have surgery, which is a good treatment option, Uh, it is very easy to get radiation therapy after surgery. Um, You know, we actually give radiation to certain cancers their whole body. So we can radiate just about anything. So it's technically easy to do, but, you know, it will, getting radiation after surgery will increase the side effects um, of the surgery and add some on potentially, especially urination or bowel movement side effects. If a man chooses to have radiation first, Um, There are centers that actually do do surgery after radiation. It's not something I recommend patients to do because they typically develop incontinence of urine, so they leak urine. And there are other newer options. One of the ones that is uh, one of the preferred approaches coming out is this robotic form of radiation. So it basically very precisely puts uh, radioactive catheters into the tumor Um, if it comes back after the first course of radiation, um, to treat it. And so really the way we counsel our patients here at the University of Michigan is whether you have surgery first or radiation first, we have a second option to treat the pelvis or the prostate area, typically with some form of radiation therapy. And if it unfortunately comes back after that, you're pretty much on an identical path going forward. So the genetic risk, are there uh, genetic Markers. Um, yep. What what are they, and how are, how are they found, and what have you found in your research uh, to kind of give us some insight? Yeah. So you know, there's two sort of high level things that put men at risk for prostate cancer or aggressive prostate cancer. One of them is lifestyle, diet, exercise. Actually, has been very clearly associated, and the other is genetics. Um, or, you know, your ancestry, your heredity, heredity uh, in family history. Mm-hmm. And so some of them are actually overlapping with things that are talked about for breast cancer. So, you know, Angelina Jolie talked a lot about uh, BRCA or BRCA mutations. And there's a family of these genes that put men and women at increased risk for cancer, including men for prostate cancer. And so over the past few years, our research team here has done a lot of research um, about 
you know, how do you implement practically and what is the risk um, for patients that have these genetic alterations? And so there's a lot of companies and a lot of tests, just to add to the confusion, um, that this is not testing your tumor, but it's testing you. So sometimes it's a, a swab of your mouth. Sometimes it's a blood test. Um, but your primary care doctor or your urologist um, or if you see a radiation oncologist, you know, if you have a family history of prostate cancer or if you're very young, I'd say, you know, under 45 years old and get diagnosed with especially a more aggressive type of prostate cancer, that there are guidelines about undergoing one of these tests. And it can tell you, um, you know, your risk of developing not just prostate cancer, potentially other cancers. But importantly, if you have brothers or sisters or if you have children, it's important for them to know, too, because it can affect their risk. And so typically when you know you have one of these genetic alterations, uh, most guidelines recommend, you know, for women, you start doing breast cancer screening at a younger age. For men, you start doing PSA testing at a younger age and even for colorectal screening with the colonoscopies. Um, so it's something that is increasing. It's still, I would say, in its early stages for prostate cancer. Breast cancer has been doing this for many more years, um, but it's now starting to ramp up quite a bit for prostate cancer. What's the linkage between prostate cancer and other cancers? Is there one? Yeah, there's. I would say unless it's one of these genetic alterations, so, you know, every cell in your body has, let's say, that BRCA, that BRCA mutation, which that mutation basically puts a lot of different organs in your body at risk for cancer. But having prostate cancer by itself, does not put you at an increased risk to have colon cancer or pancreas cancer or anything like that. It's extremely common. Uh, it's like one in nine men will get prostate cancer in their life. And they've done studies, um, autopsy studies, so when people have passed away, um, actually here out in Detroit, they did a study of 25-year-old, uh, they were gang members, so they had you know killed each other with gun, uh, gun violence, and they did autopsies. It was like 20% plus or minus of those young guys had very low-grade, non-aggressive prostate cancer. Hmm. And when you do autopsies on like 80-year-old men, the vast majority of them will have at least low-grade prostate cancer. So it's super common, um, and it's something that with early detection, it's, it's, you know, it's very easy to take care of. Now, where do you see the research going, your, your research in particular? And then research as it relates to other kind of treatment options, whether it be medication or new kinds of uh, therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's moving in a couple fronts. The first is how do we not even diagnose cancers that we don't need to treat? Because the, the reality is, is once a man gets diagnosed with prostate cancer, and even if I tell them this is a very non-aggressive type of cancer, you hear the C word, it's cancer, and it freaks you out. And so a lot of research is, how do we diagnose only the cancers that potentially are important to know about? And so there are special imaging studies and, and technologies going on to better understand it. There's urine tests, so you pee in a cup and can better identify that, and some blood tests as well that are all being studied. You know, the next big avenue is how do we deliver treatment with the least impact on quality of life? And for men, you know, the three things that can get hit 
with treatment is urination. So, you know, surgery can cause incontinence or leakage. Um, surgery and radiation can cause erectile dysfunction. And they variably can uh, affect bowel movement through the rectum. And so there's a lot of technology using things called rectal spacers, you know, the type of dissolvable gel to help, whether you can think of it as protect the rectum, certain studies trying to protect the nerves so that erectile function can be maintained, and really just how do we better target the cancer cells and not hurt the normal tissue. And that all translates into men with advanced prostate cancer. We're finally getting, this year, the first two, we call it targeted therapies, meaning that we get a genetic analysis of a patient's tumor and patients that have a certain type of genetic mutation are much more sensitive to a specific type of therapy that's been developed. And so we're trying to do that uh, even more personalized for many more patients that have other types of mutations. So I would say we call it precision medicine, where you're taking a drug, and sometimes it's even injectable radiation, if you can believe it, that the radiation is injected and it hones right to the cancer cell to kill it and doesn't go elsewhere. So a lot of very promising, exciting stuff. That's something good out of 2020. That's all I can tell. (laughs) 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 Now, if if you, you know, in, in the course of your career, what has surprised you about the research on prostate cancer? Yeah, there's been a, a couple things that I would say jump out a lot. Um, the first is, I think, the lack of understanding until more recently of the importance of social determinants of health, meaning patients, how they eat, how they exercise, um, you know, their health care status, demand insurance, all of these things you know, it's reflected a lot when we talk about disparities in healthcare, because in the United States, you know, black men uh, are diagnosed, you know, almost twice or more likely of prostate cancer than white men. And for the longest time, it was felt to be purely genetic. It's, It's something genetic. But what's coming out more and more is it seems that the black men probably don't have you know, more aggressive prostate cancer, even though that's sort of what has been commonly taught for decades. And it's probably a lot more, maybe not completely, but a lot more associated to things we're finding out now. So obesity is actually now the biggest preventable factor to put uh, men and women at cancer risk. It used to be smoking, now it's obesity. Wow. Um, and it also is the biggest risk factor for one of the basic risk factors is having aggressive or lethal prostate cancer. So as a doctor, you know, I wish I could just prescribe exercise and a healthy eating and it could be filled at a pharmacy. Um, we all would love that if it was just a pill to take, but yep, yep. Um, it's, it, it's just like I'm sure quitting smoking is not an easy thing. I think that these are that one of the biggest things men can help control in their life. It's focusing on that aspect. Talk a little bit about what PCF does, the Prostate Cancer Foundation, and you're very involved with them. Uh, you are their lead physician editor for their patient guide and have done other uh, variety of, of things for them. Talk a little bit about their role in uh, helping understand and treat and find a cure for prostate cancer. 
Yeah, so the Prostate Cancer Foundation is a truly transformative organization. Um, it you know started small and has grown to be a truly worldwide organization that leverages uh, the really the team and collaborative effort of the scientists, clinicians, patients, patient advocates, uh, support uh, patients' families uh, across the world. And I would say most of the major advances in prostate cancer that's happened over the last few decades are either directly from the support, from the philanthropic support from the Prostate Cancer Foundation, or at least they had a major role or part of it. Um, and so they take, they start with, they have these uh, Prostate Cancer Foundation Young Investigator Awards, which I got when I was still in training. And a lot of times they're funding medical students, residents, people very early in their career. And that funding is truly transformative to a let them focus rather than, let's say, only seeing patients. It gives them time to be able to really dive into their research career. And by having such a network of experts, you know, they've really been able to do things, I think, that other organizations and even government, you know, government bodies that fund research, you know, are very envious of. So it's pretty remarkable. Every year they have an annual event and, you know, things from, you know, blood tests that can detect cells circulating in the body, special imaging scans that have unprecedented resolution to find cancer, a lot of the therapies we mentioned, it's really amazing. And beyond that, they're focused also on the well-being of men and and giving them content, right? When When you search online, there's just a lot of garbage online, and it's either not enough information, it's misinformation. They really do a great job trying to just get simplified, patient-oriented information so that men can sort of have a, a, a handle on this, uh, have a community to be part of, and they focus on kind of the whole aspects. And one of the things they're doing right now, um, in addition to all the amazing research, because we're going to have that annual meeting I mentioned uh, in October where we're going to talk about all the latest science uh, and innovations going on, but they have challenges, and so right now they have this eat it to beat it challenge going on at Prostate Cancer Foundation to really kind of inspire men to change their lifestyle, uh, eating healthy foods, to kind of take control in their own hands. Yeah, and it's really important to to get that information out, and I, I really appreciate what you said and agree with it. There's, there's so much information out there, and when you can go to a source that is research-based and it's going to be uh, very plain in ex- explaining things, and I think you, you do a great job on, on the website. Uh, this is pcf.org, folks, pcf.org. I'm sure you can get very, very complicated and detailed oh, yeah. into the medical explanation, oh, oh. which will go extremely uh, right over my head. Wow. But, uh, but you also make it very uh, understandable in, in many of the videos that I've seen on there. And the information is very, very good. I guess if you've got something you would say to a man who is experiencing some difficulties urinating or there's pain, and they're maybe getting uh, into their mid-50s or early 60s or something like that. And then a man who's either gone through or going through prostate cancer, what do you tell those two guys? Yeah, I would say the most common presentation for men who get diagnosed with prostate cancer is nothing. They have no symptoms at all. 
some may, but many don't. And it's, you know, when men age, the prostates can get bigger, they can have symptoms, their urination, you know, they start waking up at night. That may or may not be, and usually not related to prostate cancer. And, you know, the best thing I would say you can do, other than, you know, uh, making sure you're, you know, staying healthy, being physically active and eating well, is go get your PSA checked. You know, if you're over the age of 50, talk with your doctor, you know, about the pros and cons of getting a PSA test. I would get a PSA test and just make sure that if any action is going to be done based on the PSA test, like if they say you need a prostate biopsy, you know, make sure that's something that you feel that is really needed. You know, ask them why that needs to be done and, and you know, you even seek a second opinion if you need to. For men that have either been diagnosed or treated for prostate cancer, you know, a lot of the times, I, I think it's number one, make sure if you're about to undergo treatment, you feel informed. And so go into the Prostate Cancer Foundation website, read that patient guide. It talks about the pros and cons of the various treatments. I say to men, your body was never made to have hormone therapy, surgery, or radiation. So if anyone's telling you, look, I'll treat you, you'll have no side effects, you know, they're, they're trying to sell you something. Um, we have perfected a lot of our treatments to have very few side effects. And you, you may have some. So just be informed and understand what they are so you're fully informed going in. And lastly, that the importance of survivorship care, meaning after treatment, especially with localized prostate cancer, the vast minority of men will die from prostate cancer. They'll die of something else. And so... Make sure you, you know, the reason you got treated for prostate cancer is to live a good life, to live a long life. And I think sometimes men get so focused on the cancer, they forget, you know, to enjoy the family, enjoy the friends. I realized during COVID, a lot of stuff has, has changed. But to make sure you kind of realize you got treated, get your PSAs checked long term, but to enjoy your life. That's great advice. That's great advice, and I, I really appreciate that because there are guys out there who are listening to this who either haven't been getting their tests done, haven't been taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. There's guys out there who are maybe struggling with uh, prostate cancer, and either way, en- enjoy your life. I think that's that's uh, great advice, Dr. Spratt. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. It was great to be on, and I hope you have a great day. You too. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please take time to like and share this and other episodes of St. Louis in Tune that can be found on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. Thank you for listening. I'm Arnold Strickland.